Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Hey there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another awesome episode of Liberty Sessions. And it's awesome because we're here with Lauren Wallace today. Hey, Lauren, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm, you know, I know your story and I've heard it, but um, as I just said on a um, Instagram post the other day, like it's so fun for me to hear these stories and how they've evolved and what's happened since our last conversation. So I'm so excited to hear this. So just really quickly, Lauren um, is with Yumi Clothing. She's the co-founder and she's going to give us uh, the skinny on Yumi Clothing and all the great stuff that she's doing. So take it away, Lauren. Yeah. So we are a nonprofit clothing company based here in San Diego And we exist to renew and empower communities that are under-resourced or in need. Um, And we do that through collaborative repurposing projects is what we call it. And our model is turning rags into resources. And how we do that is that we partner with organizations. Currently, all of our partners are in Africa. And we provide school uniforms to a group of anywhere from 100 to 200 kids. Brand new, made by the local tailor. And in exchange for the school uniform, the kids give us their oldest, most tattered piece of clothing. Um, We take those old clothes back here and we wash them, we cut them, we sew them into unique patches on our Yumi branded apparel. Um, The funds from that that we sell uh, online and at events and local retailers go back to more clothing exchanges and then a community project. So it's kind of twofold. Um, So the community projects range from clean water wells to seeds and tools for community gardens or, you know, funding girls empowerment programs, whatever the need of our partners is, we just really want to come alongside and kind of fill in the gap. Um, Our heart is not to be, you know, creating a cycle of dependency or doing handouts or just dumping resources. So that's why we always say like, it's kind of turning these rags into resources for these communities, um, just furthering the great work that they're already doing. So yeah, it's kind of a cool, unique model. Um, my friend thought of it when he was living in Uganda and I just like latched onto the idea because I'm like, this is the coolest thing, you know, and a really unique way for people here to, you know, connect with communities um, overseas, uh, you know, in a way that's, it's, I think, just uh, really unique because we're all going to buy a t-shirt. So why not buy a sure. t-shirt that has a story and a, you know, purpose behind it? Yeah. And your timing seems to match the timing of the um, kind of the mindset of buyers right now. They seem Mm -hmm. to be, and and prior to even this um, kind of presidential climate, uh, they seem to be buyers and people who really are caring about, um, and I think that's well, caring about individuals, where clothing is made, who's being affected by the clothing. Um, and so it seems like you've really hit, even though you've existed for some time, you've really hit this new uh, market, this mm-hmm. market that's hungry for or in, um, interested in the product that you have. Can you tell us a little bit about what prepares somebody for launching or co-launching a company like you, me? Like, what did you do before you, me? Yeah, so I was working as a sales and admin assistant for my dad's company, which uh, he runs an independent sales rep agency. Um, so he represents different accessory lines for like and factories for making shoes and hats and socks and those kind of things. Um, so that, in a sense, like I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was really just trying to pay my bills and also gain some real world, you know, real world experience after college. Um, but that allowed me to really it stretched me outside of my comfort zone. I learned a ton from my dad and his sales reps and business, business experience, retail experience. Um, you know, that was invaluable. Sure. I think also I was able to pursue Yumi as a, just a hobby on the side. Um, so it really allowed me to kind of pursue my passion and figure that out because I didn't really know 
if I wanted to do that full time, it was just something I was really interested in at the time. So yeah, it was kind of an, a cool learning period um, that I didn't really anticipate, uh, but ended up being really beneficial to me co-founding and then now running this on my own um, skill sets that I you know, didn't knew didn't know that I needed. Sure. And I can yeah. imagine in selling the completed t-shirts that are made here stateside, um, your ability to understand from a buyer's point of view, like what the needs are and how many units need to be sold mm-hmm. or can be sold and all those things were informed by that time working sure. with your father's company. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome and good to know for those of us who think we might need to uh, have a background in develop working with developing countries or, um, you know, some sort of humanitarian background. It's mm-hmm. nice to hear that you can come at this from, from different angles. Um, so what you, you talked about, it was really cool. This was kind of a side gig for you. It was more for fun as a volunteer. You were interested, you were friends with the, uh, original, um, um, founder or person who had mm-hmm. the idea. He's the person who introduced us. So I'm very, yes. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of him. Um, can you tell us when you first started or from when you first started to now, like what's changed for you from when you joined and co-founded to now running the company? What are the things from a mission point of view or, or not, even just from a mm-hmm. logistics point of view that have changed for you? Gosh, I think in some ways, nothing has changed about the mission. And then in other ways, everything has changed. That's a really interesting thing to think about because when we first started, you know, it was kind of solely focused on just this community in Uganda that we had started in. And then it started through my connections over the years in Africa, my family's connections, and then through his connections, it expanded into something really beautiful outside of that community um, into other countries and so it kind of grew our perspective and our, you know, ideas of what Yumi could be. Um, and then I started to really think about what I want to spend my time doing. And it became clear and clear that this was something that I wanted to pursue and give a full shot at. And so I went from kind of just, you know, behind the scenes doing whatever it took to to get this going and running volunteer groups and ordering shirts and things like that to kind of finding my own voice and finding where my passion and my skill sets aligned in moving Yumi to the next level, which I was not anticipating when I first joined, you know, I was just really kind of excited and wanted to be a part however I could be. So it was a real shift to go from, okay, now I'm not just a volunteer and kind of, um, you know, not, I wasn't like a spectator, but just being like, you know, kind of the small day-to-day stuff to do to like thinking big picture and thinking, okay, now this responsibility is kind of my sole focus. So what do I do with that? You know, which was really daunting, but also really exciting. So you talked about the mission being the same, but not the same in some ways. Can you unpack that piece of it for us a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, it was really, the heart was to, come alongside this community in Uganda and provide them resources and connection. Um, And the deeper message that I think has stayed the same, but also shifted a little bit has been, you know, a spiritual one for us of, you know, taking old things and making them new, not just in material, but our own lives that, Mm. you know, there are things and times in our lives where we feel broken or we feel, hurt or discarded and that we can have a second chance that there's an opportunity for renewal and an opportunity for new life. So that has expanded outside of just that community. And it's expanded outside of just t-shirts, um, to a bigger message and a bigger purpose. So, you know, it started as kind of just selling t-shirts to benefit this community, um, with this incredible heart behind it. Mm -hmm. And then now it's kind of grown into it's, you know, we could impact, 
any community sure. we work with with this model. It's um, almost like the framework was built and you've perfected it or mm-hmm. are perfecting it. Yeah, um, in the process. Uh, uh, well, always. I don't think it's <laughs> yeah. ever going to end, right? Um, not if you're on top of it and an organization mm-hmm. that's, that's really got their ear to the ground. That's always going to be the case. But you've created something in a way that you're like, okay, this is a template. How can we apply it to other communities that are affected? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... I see now, as you say, like it's the same mission, but it has more application. There are Mm -hmm. more people we can affect. And so that's perhaps how we can define the change of the mission. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for that. And thank you for seeing um, the beauty in what so many can sort of overlook or pass by. I Mm -hmm. appreciate kind of where you come from or how you come at this um, I know you enough to know that it's it's for real. You're the real deal. And so, <laughs> thanks, girl. <laughs> um, no, truly, I, I I was getting a little teary when you were saying that. People can't see it, thank goodness, because they <laughs> see that I'm I'm always sort of slightly like on the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of, of, I get very moved by these yeah. stories. Um, so, talk a little bit about. You, you said, again, side gig, but what really motivated you? Like, what was, was this a social impact thing? Was it, oh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur? What was the, what was the pull? Mm, yeah, I think, I honestly don't remember a time where I was, like, desiring to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I think out of college, probably wouldn't even know what that meant. Sure. Um, working with different humanitarian organizations since college, uh, I've always been drawn to social impact. And I think the, the marrying of the two of this kind of, you know, business skill set and social impact was really attractive to me. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that could be something cool. Um, yeah, I definitely, it kind of came out of like necessity because it was coming to a point where we, all of us that had co-founded it all had full-time jobs and we were all kind of at a point where it's like, we either need to just kind of say bye and close this chapter. And it was great or someone needs to take the helm and kind of move this forward. And I honestly was probably consider myself the last person to do that. Not because the passion wasn't there, but because I was so terrified of what that meant and never saw myself as like the face of an organization or the person running things or whatever you want to call it. So running my own business was not, which I know a lot of people are like, I want to do that. That sounds awesome. And some people are built that way. I was just not kind of wired that way. Um, so it's going against my nature a little bit, but I think the social impact, uh, draw was stronger. And so that to me, the mission, the purpose being on the ground, seeing this process actually come to life, seeing these communities, you know, kids going to school for the first time and having clean water after five years, yeah. I was watching this going, wow, that's just from like me putting effort and energy into selling these shirts and telling people about the story. Like, yeah, I can do this you know, and kind of having the incredible cheer section of, you know, my family and friends motivating me, um, that really shifted in me that I could do this. And my husband, honestly, is probably the number one reason I'm doing this right now, because he believed in me and still does on the days that I like want to give up and don't think I can do this or don't think I'm qualified. You know, people always talk about the imposter syndrome, you know, as a entrepreneur, as a you know business owner. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a struggle of like, I'm going to get found out that I don't yeah. know what I'm doing, you know, and can I just, tell you that's probably, that's probably as I'm putting my consulting hat on now, that's mm-hmm. probably the number one thing I hear from my clients on a regular basis, mm-hmm. like yeah. regardless of what they're doing, the industry they're in, how much experience even they have. I hear that, um, I hear it to the extent where I have links that I automatically send them about the (laughs) imposter syndrome Um, from Forbes magazine, from Inc., from Fast Company, from um, Psychology Today. Like Mm -hmm. it's a real thing. And I want to just back up to something you said that you were terrified but you were curious and that curiosity led to passion and that passion mm-hmm. led to a, convic- a conviction. And I think when those things are intact, when you believe so wholeheartedly in the mission of what you're doing, that the things that you're 
terrified by will fall into place. It's mm-hmm. driven by the right motive. Yeah. And I also think that people who are terrified actually do a better job of finding solutions because they don't think they have the answers. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so keep going, Lauren. Yeah, You've got a, this. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, there's a yeah daily pep talk needed. There's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a humility that comes with, you know, feeling that way and kind of questioning yourself. Um, and I read a great article the other morning, um, about good leaders are always learners, you know, lifelong learners, um, and kind of stopping and asking yourself in the moment, am I in learning mode? And that has been really good for me of just kind of like, okay, when I'm tackling something, am I in learning mode, you know, or after the fact, was I in learning mode? What can I do better? How can I do that a different way next time? Yeah. And not being afraid of criticism and being afraid of, you know, failing and changing things. And that's so easy to say, except for when you actually fail at something or yeah. you like, <laughs> you know, miss a deadline or you don't do something, you don't say something the right way, uh, you know, and it's then it becomes real life. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, so it's a it's definitely a day to day thing. But I'm so thankful and find solace in the fact that so many people feel that way yeah, (laughs) and that we're not alone. And the more friends I talk to in this world and, you know, the more connections I make, the more often I find that. And it is really like, we're, you know, a misfit crew, but we're definitely not alone, which is, I don't know, I think a great reminder. Absolutely. Do you by chance remember the article or where, where you read it or? Yeah, it was sent out by uh, creative mornings Uh and I think it was, Good leaders are good learners. Okay. By Harvard Business Review. Awesome. We'll we'll yeah. tag that. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I for love that. Creative Mornings. They've they're like a incredible resource. Of, yeah. You know. They're a good one. Awesome stuff. Okay. Yeah. Good shout out to Creative Mornings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about um, kind of all these brands who are doing work in developing countries that we've spoken with that you know that are out there and they all kind of say the same thing around how they had to really learn about a cultural so they could become sensitive to the issues in order to be the most effective. Mm -hmm. What um, kind of in a sentence or two would you say you have identified, whether it was in Uganda or Mozambique or Swaziland or any of the other countries, even outside of Africa that you've worked, anything that you're like, we learned this the hard way, or this was a really good thing. Once we became sensitive to it, things really opened up or changed for us. Yeah, I think um, we've been really fortunate with our partners and kind of the the mindset of everyone that we've worked with where we haven't had a, a ton of issues like that because we're kind of working with like-minded people who are not coming over to kind of import their own agenda or their own plan. They're really coming as a guest and really wanting to learn and come alongside. Um, but there has been a few instances, um, where I think just communication and timing can be different than what we think. If something is going to take 30 minutes, it might take 24 hours, (laughs) you know, things like that. And just being sensitive to like our time, it's not different. Isn't bad. It's just different. And so there are things that we can implement and change to do things better and more efficiently together. Um, but there's also a lot of things that are just different from our culture that I think we could actually learn from, you know, and take our time in and connect with each other on a deeper level relationally. That, that was a big thing too, of not just like, it's not all business. It's gotta be also personal. Um, you know, but yeah, we've been really fortunate. We haven't had a a ton of like, you know, issues with cross-cultural stuff. Um, because our heartbeat is so strong that we really want to defer to our partners on the ground that are day in, day out, the local Mozambicans, local Swazis, you know, they know their country and their people and their kids better than we ever will. So we always try and kind of like, you know, elevate them and their voice first. So, and that's been a through line in uh, interviews that we've done as well as just uh, I can, you know, trying to learn a lot before you and I actually went on a trip um, last summer to those to Mozambique and Swaziland through Project Rage and mm-hmm. spending a little time immersing myself and listening to people um, 
in these cultural issues. Uh, your mother actually was uh, a, a great resource, having uh, spent so much time mm-hmm. in Swaziland in particular. And it seems the, I started to say, it seems the through line is those relationships with people on the ground, with locals, um, mm-hmm. with uh, people who understand their own culture. And I would yeah. say even above other NGOs, mm-hmm. I would say above other Americans living there. Um, and there are some Americans who are living there and have lived there for some time. And so the culture has become their own. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about them. I'm talking about people who were there for a year or yeah. six months doing whatever work. So um, I think that's a good takeaway for those of us listening who might want or m- might be considering doing their own thing. It's like, look Mm -hmm. at who's on the ground, look at who's doing whatever they're doing. Also, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There's Mm -hmm. an efficient way. There's a structure that's there and perhaps whatever you bring to the table can improve it, but we don't have to start from zero. Yeah. That's what we kind of thought of going into it. We didn't want to become another NGO in Africa. Yeah. There's plenty of those. So, you know, who's already doing work that we align with and how can we just kind of further that? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for that, which was great. I love that. Um, Okay. So one of the things you had talked about in your introduction was kind of how you me first started and the mission of you me and then we've talked about how you've developed this framework and are applying it to different groups and one of the things that you have done recently and by recently i mean in the last year is that you have your original sewing groups were this great way to build community and mm-hmm. get uh, get people informed about the mission uh, of you, me, and to really uh, even take them back to Africa and get them excited about the work you're doing. But now you're employing women stateside who also have a need. So can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing to employ um, a particular refugee? Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's one of my favorite things I think we're doing right now is we have partnered with the International Rescue Committee in San Diego and with their employment center in hiring a refugee woman from Somalia to sew and design all of the patches as well as make the Capilano neckties that we designed on our Project Raiz trip. Um, We did a training with two to three women um, for about four months and where we had uh, a wonderful organization in uh, Michigan who donated sewing machines specifically for our training program, which was oh, so cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so we were able to, and also give them those machi- machines at the end of the training, um, which was huge. And so that was a great process. We learned a lot, you know, it's very different working with our, you know, electric machines here versus the sewing machines that a lot of them are used to the foot pedal, you know, manual machines in Kenya and Somalia and Uganda. And so, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a learning curve and as well as, uh, doing trainings through a translator is a little challenging. Um, but it was really beautiful to have something tactile that we could connect on, um, as women. And it was just a really, it's been a really cool experience. And so we, from that have hired one woman in particular named Norto and she has six kids and, uh, a great husband who is a carpenter, uh, upholstery maker, Um, They've been living in San Diego for about a year and a half now. Um, And she had all of her kids in a refugee camp in Ethiopia and is just one of the most resilient, beautiful, you know, hardworking people I've ever met. Um, Yeah. And she, you know, told me she grew up in the fields, work with her dad. And so she's just so excited to work. She started a baking, you know, company in the refugee camp, you know, with a friend of hers because she just is so motivated. (laughs) Yeah. She's amazing. So you know, we couldn't have found a more perfect match for us to, I think, um, to start this program because we really had no idea how it was going to go and how it was going to work. Um, and so, yeah, we're always kind of week to week figuring out things and communicating, but it gives her the flexibility to work from home and to be with her kids. Um, you know, we do the drop up and drop off and pick up of stuff at IRC. Um, and I'm just excited to also you know, partner with what they're doing already in the community, someone who is, they are so connected and so passionate about empowering, uh, not just the refugee community, but, you know, low income communities too in San Diego and all around the state. So um, it's been a really exciting thing 
and it's another layer to our story. So when people see our shirts and they're like, that's so cool. And they hear the story about the patch. Yeah. Well, now that patch is from a kid in Africa, but now it also was sewn by a woman here um, who's starting a new life in America and you're helping employ her by buying the shirt. So, you know, you're, you're helping her, you're helping a kid go to school and you're helping a community get a project that they need resources that they need. So, you know, I'm, it's, I'm just like thrilled that, you know, our, our mission and purpose keeps expanding. Sure. Um, if know. only you were doing important work, that's the only thing <laughs> I, oh, well, keep trying. Some, yeah. <laughs> There's always Maybe next, next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for that. Lauren, I'd love to know just, you know, quickly, like, what's next for you, me? Uh, you've talked about kind of how you've, um, how you started and the other people that are being affected, like the refugee that you just spoke of. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I don't want to call her that. What's her name again? Norta? Norto. So it's N-U-R-T-O. Yeah. Okay. So, so now what's next? What can you imagine? And next could be, you know, in 2018 or it can be in the next five years. Like what, what can you imagine mm -hmm. falling under the Yumi umbrella? Yeah, I have tried to think for five, like a five-year plan and I'm like, oh, nope. <laughs> so I'm going to stick to 2018 um, for now. But I, my goal would be to do two exchanges next year um, with two different community partners and to hire another refugee woman um, on our team to continue expanding that program uh, to hire myself is mm -hmm. a kind of a goal by the end of this year. I've been doing this volunteer for the last five years and just full-time the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of some big things. And then, yeah, just continuing to grow our board and grow our sustainability and keep measuring our impact and growth. Um, I would just love to keep getting better at what we're already doing yeah. well. It sounds so, like it's yeah. it's really scaling. Uh, mm -hmm. Aside from yeah. you getting paid, um, right. just yeah. I guess scaling in some way. Um, yeah. So really taking again what you've built and just applying it multiple times, applying it to multiple communities, mm -hmm. um, and always perfecting the model along the way. Yeah. And being f more fully resourced, whether it's with a board, whether it's money, mm -hmm. those things that can sort of sustain the organization. Those are yeah, good I think goals. Think, yeah. Thinking forward as we've always kind of been very reactive and reactionary yeah. and kind of in the moment. So it's exciting to actually be at a space where we can be a little bit proactive and kind of dream for the future. Well, and armed with five years of experience, you mm -hmm. you become an authority on how things should be run and what's been working and what's not while remaining that lifelong learner. It's the mm -hmm. perfect combination. So we're excited to see what happens in 2018 with you and me. You. So we're going to transition a little bit. Um, armed with all that knowledge and all those trips and all those cultural sensitivities um, in your back or in your backpack, in your... Capilana made backpack. <laughs> yes. um, just bringing it, you know, just bring it <laughs> yeah, full, circle full circle here. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that you, okay, I mean, I talked a bit ago about Yumi being in this great, uh, it, it's, although it's been around this sort of new climate of where are things made, how are they made, who are they impacted, the slow fashion movement, the mm -hmm. fair trade movement around clothing, the political movement around fashion. There's so many things that are happening and people are coming at it from so many vantage points. It really feels like a great space for you guys. It's also a space that's being somewhat... Um, uh, well, oversaturated. Okay, thank you. You said it, not me. But there are a lot of people, um, millennials in particular. Shout out to millennials, but that are coming at this um, from a, you know, whether it's profit or nonprofit. But they're like, gosh, I can do something good. I can build this do good platform. I can travel. Mm -hmm. This is so awesome. Um, what do you want to say? What truths do you want to give those people who are looking at it from that point of view? Ooh, there's a lot in that question. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it is very trendy and popular right now. But honestly, I'm like, if these organizations are doing good, then I'm all for it. Like the more the merrier, you know, I think. But I think we have to all kind of ask ourselves, check our motivation and check kind of what is really at the heart of what we're doing. And is that actually doing what we say, you know, we sure. want it to do. Um, I think 
like we said earlier, not reinventing the wheel. So doing research, asking questions, digging deeper past like, this is a cool idea, finding out if that's already out there or something similar that you could align your passions to, um, whether that's an internship or just a meeting or, you know, connecting organizations that you think would be cool to work together um, versus maybe starting something from scratch. But I think if there's something that you just can't shake that you feel like you need to pursue, like, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a really amazing time to be alive as a generation where there is so much opportunity and so many resources and tools to make these things happen like never before. Sure. So there's a lot of room, you know, I think for those type of companies and organizations, it's just a matter of, it's just if the heart behind it is purely motivated and it's for the people and not just for profit and not just to capitalize on a trend, but actually, you know, wanting to do something a little bit deeper for the greater good. I think if, if that's the motivation and that's the heart and that's, you know, what you want to do, I think go for it and just find people who've already gone ahead of you sure. and are on that same journey. So since you've gone ahead of them, what's maybe one nugget you'd like to pass on? And it could be, hey, it you know, the barrier to entry is easy. Find a cause, find some people who care about it start your Instagram feed and voila, you've got something. Um, or is it a little bit more than that? Like, what <laughs> would you like to say to those people? You know, hey, really consider, I mean, let's assume their their motives are pure. They, mm-hmm. They're dual bottom-minded, bottom-line-minded, sorry. I don't know what bottom-minded <laughs> is. Well, we don't like those people. Yeah. Um, they're dirty. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bottom line minded. I'm use that from yeah. <laughs> bottom minded. He's so bottom minded. There are bottom minded <laughs> girls too. Um, but for people who all their motives are intact, everything's in the right place. They and 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 I and we're not saying. I just want to be clear. We're not saying profit is bad. You yeah. can make a profit and mm-hmm. be a company that is having a social impact. And we've seen that. Sure. Uh, we've seen some companies really make great strides in, in those areas, but. Um, what would you, what's the advice you would want to give them, whether it's just in working in a developing country, how hard that is? Maybe that's, you know, we, we also don't want to isolate, do good brands Mm -hmm. to working overseas. There's plenty of good work that needs to be done here stateside, but anything you'd want to just, Hey guys, just watch out for X, Y, Z, or keep this in mind as you're moving along. Mm -hmm. I think keeping it in mind, like what's your what's your circle already? Like, what's your sphere of influence? You know, kind of looking around and going, who do I already know or kind of have some connection to? Um, And going from there, because like for us, I had so many connections in Africa with great organizations and connections in the apparel industry that it, it made it really like easy to move forward in those areas. And I think avoid a lot of the pitfalls that maybe come with starting from scratch in another country or doing something here. Um, But even with those connections, there's still going to be, you know, challenges and barriers. Um, But yeah, I think kind of being aware of what your sphere of influence is is huge. And then, you know, not being afraid to reach out to companies you admire and people you admire to ask advice advice and, you know, ask for wisdom um, and I mean, yeah, it's kind of two different things. Cause if you're working international, that's like a whole nother <laughs> conversation, yeah. but I think for people just wanted to do something good. Um, yeah, I think just researching like-minded brands and organizations that are already out there and then kind of getting in touch with people. Those are great. You know. Those are great nuggets. The research, researching brands that would be interesting then to try and figure out their business model, mm-hmm. or even if they're nonprofit, what is their yeah. model? What is mm-hmm. how are they cycling through the problem and resolving issues? And I also love the sphere of influence um, one. There's uh, often when people feel under resourced, it's time and money, mm-hmm. and um, I will usually say to them, you know what you do have, what you have access to right now is more than you're utilizing. Mm -hmm. And those are usually in relationships. Um, Oftentimes the answers we need exist within our sphere of influence. For sure, Um, yeah. And so people 
underestimate that. I underestimate that uh, myself. And so, you know, guilty. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it, it's yeah. a good, it's a good one to tackle, a good one to go, to go after. Thanks for those. Um, yeah. So we would love, because all this sounds very, I mean, you've been really honest and real and thank you in talking about haven't been paid for five years, been acting as a volunteer, would love 2018 to, uh, you know, to produce a paycheck. That would be great. <laughs> um, and so we've heard some of that, but give us a little more kind of what's the day to day, how much time are you spending, um, sewing or, or working with whether, do you do the group sewing at all? You know, we haven't, we okay. have kind of scaled back. So yeah, we've been trying to give as much work as we can to That's Norto. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So how much of it is spent on working with Norto? How much of it is spent on being on the phone with the different organizations you're partnering with in Africa? Like what is the day to day raising funds for you, me from private individuals? What, you know, what, what does it look like for you day, day to day and week to week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, so I wear all the hats right now, mm -hmm. which I'm trying to get to a point you where I can You look good in hats, so that Thank works. Thank you. Yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to get that to a point where I can delegate a few of these tasks more to um, other team you know, members. I have a few friends that have kind of um, joined my ranks to help alleviate some of these tasks. But the day-to-day -day is probably like once a week, um, I'm working with IRC and with Norto. Um, I'm emailing our partners um, coordinating with the screen printer and getting our shirts on time and figuring out designs. We just did a whole rebrand and overhaul. So our new website is going to be coming out next week, which oh, is really awesome. exciting. Um, oh, so a great. lot of my day to day has been, you know, how do I implement that and taking our new color palette and our fonts and our messaging and kind of branding and, you know, really infusing that, um, into our brand right now. And, you know, responding to volunteer emails, um, social media, taking that over. <laughs> so it's just posted on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> uh, which seems to suck up so much of the day, yeah. you know? And um, yeah, it really varies from day to day kind of what my tasks are mm -hmm. um, just because it is kind of like all over the place. Um, but I've, I'm trying to get better at kind of um, segmenting my days and times and focuses, whether it's, you know, the nonprofit back end of things, which is a whole nother animal in itself, you know, and then I'm, I'm really running a social business hybrid in a sense. So switching from business hat to nonprofit hat and kind of in between, um, it changes <laughs> regularly. So I think that's, yeah. as we hear you, I think it's something that it's like, okay, even when we're doing these sort of do good and you are a nonprofit, correct? Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. Yeah. So even when we're doing these things and we, we fit in this particular box, our day to day looks a lot like a day to day of somebody who's really running a for-profit business, juggling lots mm -hmm. of things, also wearing lots of hats, a solopreneur, even though you have a team of people that volunteer along with mm -hmm. you and are supporting you and partners, you're really running the show and therefore you're trying to um, be equipped in all these different areas. Uh, when do you think you can imagine having somebody come alongside? Like at some point, have you ever tried interns? Would you recommend interns? What's the problem with interns? You know, <laughs> there's yeah. no problem with interns yeah, except yeah. for they go yeah. back to school. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, it's funny. It's good timing. And we are talking to an intern right now. So she's going to start in September, which is really exciting. Um, yeah. I think that's an area that has been a challenge of figuring out going from wearing so many hats to what can I let go of and what can I delegate, even mm -hmm. though it may take a little longer or may not be yeah, perfect the first go sure. around, you know, takes a few efforts. Um, and I think with interns, it depends on obviously like age and skill set and where they're coming from, but um, that can be, you know, a learning process in itself. But I think a really beautiful thing as a team to grow and to empower people to come alongside. And I want people to get just as passionate as I am about it. And I feel like it's opening up space for people rather than limiting, you know, 
who can be a part of it or my limits as a person being the cap for what we can do for you, me. So that's been really kind of my perspective is like, who, who can we have that really not only takes a few things off my plate, but really also has the same passion and vision. Sure. And um, extends, extends yeah, it's an extension life. of yeah. our, you know, organization. So yeah, I'm excited to see uh, our interns. Great. And she hasn't started yet. But she's, we've met a few times. So I'm really like looking forward to what's the first thing that you're going to give her to do. What's the first thing you're going to take <sighs> off your plate? For sure. Get me coffee. Oh, <laughs> no. for, I love that. No, <laughs> no come she, on. Yeah. There's the no coffee way. run for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I pretty much work out of coffee shops. So, oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think for her, I actually, it's going to be working at the local events, um, okay. which is a great way to kind of be thrown into like, you know, you have to share the story. You have to share what we do and interact with people and answer questions. And I think it's a great way because that's grassroots how we started and we're still a part of a lot of local events. Um, so yeah, she's going to help with that. Um, and then possibly some, you know, grant writing and fundraising, which we've never really done before because we are kind of a social hybrid and we specifically didn't want to always be asking people for money, which yeah. isn't a bad thing for some organizations, but for us, we just really wanted to not do that and, and have a product that kind of spoke for itself and was able to, you know, support the mission. Yeah. Um, so I do, we still do though with that need some more capital need some more funding to kind of push our programs to the next level and have that, um, really strong foundation. So it'd be great to have someone who that's their focus and that's, you know, where they're coming in working on every day. Sure. Well, and to match your goals for 2018, which are to scale. Mm -hmm. And often yeah. with scale, there's a need for, um, capital, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. but fortunately too, fortunately, <laughs> yeah. because I think that if that wasn't the case, that those of us who are most hungry and most, um, kind of can go, can go through that process, which requires resilience. If, if it was, if there was access to everybody, then there would be no separating the, the wheat from the, from the chaff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, is that how you say that? Wheat from chaff? <laughs> chaff, chaff it sounds right. Chaff. Okay. Um, so I, there's something about that process that kind of, I, I appreciate no matter how mm -hmm. hard it is. And, and I've heard horror stories from some people, <laughs> but it's sort of like, you know what, but you got through that. And I sort of, I'm you and those who are backing you are now more invested, um, yeah. literally more invested, but even mm -hmm. more vested in the company and the outcome of the company. So yeah, I, I think that can be a real refining process. Um, okay. So in these busy days, um, There've got to be like apps, tools, resources, uh, even just something you do to keep yourself organized on a regular basis. Can you share some of those with us, Lauren Wallace? Yes. So I <laughs> love to write things down. I mean, I know we live in the digital age, but I still have like I have a typed list and then I'll have like my written yeah, list. I'm a writer. I need, yeah. I need uh -huh. to physically cross off things like shower and <laughs> eat breakfast and do that. Do you just so, throw those in there just so you can cross them off? Because I'm oh, I'm guilty of doing yeah, that. Like 100%. I may have even done it already and I write it down oh, and then cross yeah. it off. I'm like, oh, I'm so good. I have for yeah. sure done that yeah, yeah. many times. Yeah. It, I think it's just like you need those little victories I do. to keep yeah, you going. For sure. Um, but for, you know, online, I love using Basecamp. Um, that's been a good lifesaver for us and our team um, to be able to section out projects and then assign people tasks. And it, if you can choose to have it email you every day with, yeah. you know, what's overdue or what's due or what people are working on. Um, I plan to utilize that a lot more when it's not just a few of us. I think it's good for probably bigger teams than if it's yeah. just a small amount of people. And, and I've learned just, with those yeah. things, I, I'll, I'll just share that I hate them. I hate all mm -hmm. of them. Um, and I've learned that you have to make peace with those, with base, base camp, Asana, there's many and yeah. many are for different purposes. And once you make peace with it and it's your friend and it's your partner, <laughs> it's a real tool. But mm -hmm. I run into so many people, and again, myself included, who are like, ah, oh, yeah, it didn't work. Well, yeah. did it really not work or did you not know how to use it or did yeah. you not utilize it? <laughs> Did you get yeah. annoyed with all the emails? Well, those mm -hmm. emails are your friends. Like they're right. actually yeah. informing you of something. So I think 
I just want to say, yes, base camp, it's awesome. But for those of you who've tried it and haven't had the success Lauren's had, hang in there and really maybe even grab coffee with somebody who knows how to use it well. Yeah, because um, and that's, you know, and there are so many other ones, platforms that work yeah. for people. And to be honest, like I've had a very love-hate relationship with it. Same thing. Like some weeks I feel like it's not working. Yeah. And it's not because, but that's more often that I'm not investing the time to use that as like my main, yeah. you know, form of communication. Cause you really can like in that specific example, you can communicate in there, like you're communicating an email and have it all on record and yeah. have everything assigned and have a calendar. And so really, if you use it properly, <laughs> which I'm still in the f- process of figuring out, um, it can be a really, really helpful piece of the business. But okay. yeah, I'm, you know, it's still, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a work in process. Yeah. So base camp and we'll, again, we'll include that in the notes. Anything else that you're using? Um, Google calendar. Google <laughs> calendar. Sure. Yeah. Uh, right? yeah. I use mine a lot. And then my friend actually turned me on to passion planner, um, yeah. which I just started using. So that has been a really cool kind of, again, love writing things down. So it's kind of like a good physical reminder of what I need to do, but I also like that it ties in you know, you're kind of three months to five year to yeah. lifetime plan and kind of tying in your, your passions to your day-to-day to-do list. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I'm excited. I haven't, I've only been using that like pretty recently, um, but I'm excited to use that more. Okay. Those are three good ones. I'm so impressed. Most people can oh, like you. come up with one. Good for yeah. you, Lauren. That's like you can three in like five years. Off your list <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, God. Yeah. That's good. Um, so okay, so thanks for those. Cause again, I think those are helpful and it's all it's always helpful to know what other people are using and are finding to be helpful. And it always seems that it comes down to that organizational thing. Like if mm-hmm. people are more organized, then they're more efficient. Yeah. Um so you you are validating that for us. So can you share with our listeners one thing that you wish you would have known in the process uh, or before you began the process. So again, going back to when you first started volunteering with you, me, and, and then really got behind it and were working with other co-founders to figure out what this platform is and what we're going to offer and how we're going to do it. What do you wish someone would have told you or the learning curve would have been um, a little less steep on? Mm. Uh, I think, Oh, gosh, one of the first things that pops in my mind is uh, the temptation to compare yourself is going to be really strong. Mm. Um, at least it has been for me to compare my journey with other people's journey or other organizations' journey. Um, that was a really kind of eye-opening experience where I didn't expect to kind of have this incredible self-doubt and kind of like, oh my gosh, should I be there? Should I be here? Should I be doing that? I'm never going to get to that point or we're never going to get there. Um, and realizing that that's okay, that that's part of the process, but like giving that its space and then moving past it and being able to move out of comparison to admiration and excitement and, you know, encouragement of other brands and organizations that we love and want to be like or emulate or just are really excited by. So I think that can be something that's a really steep learning curve, but can turn into something really cool. Um, and then that tension is good. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of us like conflict or <laughs> when things don't go our way or the plan doesn't follow, um, you know, what we've set out and the times of tension in our organization have been some of the hardest things we've worked through, but out of that has come so much, learning about myself personally and then also the people around me or you know the people on the ground that we're working with um I I think like not shying away from the hard conversations and the hard moments of just continuing to press in and linking up with people who are also doing that I think is really important because we're only you know we're, when we're isolated, I think these things can seem insurmountable. And when you're in community, they're still tough, but they're manageable. And then you can really, you know, edify and learn. And I've been really 
surprised by the amount of things that people learn from me and then I learn from them, which I never would have expected if I hadn't have opened myself up to being vulnerable in community of going, I don't know if I'm doing this right or I, I don't know how I feel about this or you know, I'm having this issue um, rather than trying to handle it solo you know, handling it in community has been really life-giving. Sure. I, there, it's hard for me to just say thanks for those because I want to just go back and unpack a few of them really quickly because you laid out some, I think, really valuable and even there was a really profound statement in there um, that I want to just go back to really quickly. But one of the things you said in the comparison um, when you first brought that up is I think for most people who are solo, whether it's as a freelancer or as an entrepreneur, who I think freelancers are somewhat entrepreneurial mm. in that they're <laughs> cobbling up this career made of different projects. But you don't have an infrastructure built in where somebody, you know, your immediate manager, director, boss is saying, good job. Mm-hmm. You don't have a paycheck that even if you're not doing a good job, it's like, whatever, at least I got this thing at the end of two weeks or a month. You don't have built in, there's no structure that tells you keep going. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're accomplishing what you're supposed to be doing. It's, it, it's left to yourself. Mm-hmm. And over time, I think it's really hard to continue to muster up the energy after months and years go by of saying, am I doing this right? Even when the paychecks start coming in. Am I doing this right? Am, am I the one for the job? You know, um, I, I, again, we talked about the imposter syndrome, and I think this is all built into that. So thank you for saying that, because I think people don't, they do feel alone in it, and they don't realize, um, they may have heard it, they may have heard it on a, you know, a quote, again, on Instagram, but I don't think they yeah. realize the gravity of it and how much it can pull down mm-hmm. somebody who's working alone. The other thing that that profound statement that you, which we will surely make uh, into a quote and, and post <laughs> on, on our own Instagram and give you full credit for, but that really having the comparison turn to admiration, I think is brilliant. Not only um, as a business person, as a, uh, as a woman, but just in life as a human to understand how to take that and say, kind of, you're great and I admire you for being great and you're teaching me in your greatness. And now what does that do for me? How is that mm-hmm. a tool for me? How is that a beginning point for me? Like, thank goodness that we have so many people who've been so great and come before us. Um, so we'll be using that Lauren Wallace nugget of wisdom. Oh, Stay tuned, <laughs> ladies. Um, and then, you know, when you were talking about uh, the hard, the hard things within the organization and how they've shaped and formed you and how you've needed community around you, I think that's another thing. It's really hard as somebody mm-hmm. who's running an organization, whether you have volunteers or employees, to be honest about how hard it is for you. You can be honest about the business and you can be transparent about the business, but, you know, but being able to say, I don't know, guys, I don't know if I'm the one for this Mm -hmm. job. I I don't know, you know, I've painted a nice picture and we have a pretty logo, but I'm not really sure. And you talked about that community and I just recommended to a client of mine the other day who's also a solopreneur, also running a nonprofit. And I said, find other women who are doing similar work. Not, Mm -hmm. I don't care if they're your competition or they're not your competition, just other people who you can, who you can be vulnerable with. So if it is competition and that's not a place you can be vulnerable, I get it. But find other founders other solopreneurs, it could even be other freelancers who are dealing with it, have coffee on a regular basis and just do that. Just share your doubts, your fears, your insecurities in, 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 in a place that's safe. I do want to say that because um, I just want to emphasize that rather because mm-hmm. it, that is important. You need to feel like you can do that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just another coffee and feels like another waste of time or obligation. Right. And get, get yourself surrounded Um, because those hard things will come and they have an opportunity of really shaping and informing you in a, in a meaningful way when you can be supported through them. And I know that you've had that. Um, and I know that there's been hard stuff that you've been able to come out of because of those people. Um, because you're, 
you know, you've got a sharp head too. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't want to diminish that, but I, I just, you said those three things and I wanted to press into them a little bit more. Um, yeah. So the community has been, I think one of the biggest things, cause what is that saying? The rising tide lifts all boats, you know? And so from that aspect, and then also like encouraging me, I know the times that I've received, you know, affirmation from some of my closest friends or from people I didn't know, but just admire what I'm doing. Like that leads me to want to do that to other people. Sure. Like I know how much it means to me and how much it's helped me through those hard times. So it is, it's like, it's a, it's a ripple effect, you know, once you start doing it for somebody, then it just, you never know where it's going to lead. And I think the more we start doing that for each other, especially as women, you know, people are craving that community and that vulnerability. I mean, you see all these conferences and all these different platforms popping up, you know, but we have to like put it into practice or else it's all just, you know, it's like I said, it sounds nice. It looks nice, but it's not actually doing anything. So we have to like get in there and actually like open up to each other, which is really hard. Yeah. And I want to make a distinction by saying community. We don't mean doing collaborations with other brands. I mean, those are great too, Mm -hmm. but we're talking about where you can be vulnerable about yourself as a person and as a leader. Uh, We're not just talking about how can you work with and partner with other, other women owned companies Mm -hmm. or whatever, two different things. Okay. That was the heavier part. Now we're going to get into the lighter part. So (laughs) this is our quick six, Lauren. This is where we ask six questions and you just tell us your answer, just whatever comes to mind. Okay. I'm so bad at these. (laughs) Nope. You're going to be so good. Watch. (laughs) I can't wait. And you'll get to cross it off your list. Like thing I was so bad at, cross off your list. Now you're good at it. Okay. Uh, Nine to five or flex schedule. What's your preference? Mm, flex schedule okay uh vacation in the mountains or the beach oh that is so tough i would love a beach with trees <laughs> that would be my dream you there, know there, somewhere yeah where's that know, like northern california okay like big sur kind of but i'm so partial to both like i can't decide I okay love both. okay yeah. we'll let it slide Thanks. this time <laughs> this time okay would you rather work from home or an office outside of the home it depends on the project. I generally love to work from a coffee shop. That's okay. my go-to. Yeah. If I had a co-working space, eventually that would be ideal too. Okay. Yeah. So kind of, kind of have your own space, but also yeah. be surrounded by other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then this leads right into, would you rather work alone or with a team? You know, I tend to like working alone. Um, but if I'm trying to hash out like a bigger project, I like having a trusted team of a few people. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I heavily lean on the introverted scale. So I like to be in my zone and do my thing and kind of like, you know, work by myself. I feel like I get more done. Yeah. But yeah, it kind of depends. Depends. Okay. And that's, I think, where like you talked about having a board and a community and all those things that mm-hmm. creates opportunities for that. But on a day to day, you can you can work alone. Yeah. Um, hardest question we have: <laughs> Thai or Mexican food? Ooh, both my favorites. Um, That's why it's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see what you're doing yes, here. Yes. Um, Intentional. Yeah, I would say Mexican. I mean, I'm a San Diego girl, and yeah. we're like right on the border. We have some of the best food here, yeah, and it's true, you know, right there. So yeah. I think there's a taco truck. Thai taco truck future that's going to emerge from these mm-hmm. Liberty podcast sessions beca- <laughs> or Liberty sessions podcast because everyone like we're almost even like really? for a while it was really heavy on the Thai. Now mm-hmm. we're really going toward the Mexican. So I'm almost wondering if there's a, there's a, it's like the next business. There's a Liberty yeah. Thai taco truck somewhere. I'm you not heard sure. it here. Well, you heard it <laughs> yeah. here. Um, don't hold your breath or save your money, but you heard it here. Okay. So this one, this question is what does it mean to be, for you to be liberated? And we asked this question, um, in every interview, you know, we've named the company Liberty. We've named the podcast Liberty Sessions because our hope is that through, uh, entrepreneurship, through seeking a calling, through pursuing a venture, women can can be liberated, can feel like they've sort of exercised this part of their, their self. They can be realized. Um, what does being liberated mean to you, Lauren Wallace? Hmm, I love all that. 
Um, to me, I think, you know, it's being set free to make my own choices and take opportunities to change the world around me, uh, to be able to wake up and make that choice for myself is such a privilege and a beautiful opportunity. Um, and I think when we ourselves are liberated and set free, we want to liberate others. So to me, I think that's one of the most powerful things we can do as women, but also just as humans is yeah. to be about the business of setting each other free. Mm, love that. Okay. Another quotable from Lauren. I love it. Thanks. You're full of it today. Um, yeah, full of them, giving, full giving of them today, best. not full of it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. It's a combo. <laughs> combo. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I know how much I appreciate it. And I know that there are so many people that have benefited from f directly benefited from it and then have um, changed the way they kind of move about this world because of the work that you're doing and the way you've informed them. Um, so kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. I always love learning and talking to you and being with you. So thank you so much. Um, oh, the pleasure's been ours. Good to see you, honey. I'll, good too. to see you on a computer, just so everybody know. knows. You're in San Diego, <laughs> but we're in LA. We're very yes. high tech here at Liberty Sessions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, honey, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks Bye. to our listeners, too. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower.